Well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridgeview. We're back this week, obviously, for week two of this series called Invest and Invite. And this uh, sermon series is a little bit of something that we were talking like uh, a family about. Uh, this is a strategy for our church. In fact, this is one of our values. How do we invest and invite others? How do we uh, fulfill this to be a part of the mission that God has given us? So if this is uh, your first time uh, here at Ridgeview or you're new to Ridgeview, uh, this is giving you a little bit like kind of like insider view of what we feel God has called us to, which is actually helpful. Anytime you come to a church, what you're hearing and what you're seeing are things that you can experience, but then sometimes it's good to hear the why. You experience the what a lot, but the why helps you know, why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we emphasize the things that, that we emphasize? And so that, that's what this series is about. And so you'll hear, if you're around Ridgeview for a while, you'll hear that phrase a lot, invest and invite. And so uh, I'm going to explain a little bit uh, more of what that looks like, but I want to talk a little bit about human nature, if I can, to start kind of something in us where, where we experience something good, uh, we want to share it with somebody else. So just a quick question. Has anyone ever told you like a recommendation for a place to eat? And they texted you like, you need to check this place out. And you have gone. Anyone? All the time, right? Like we love that. Somebody tells us something that they've experienced that's good. Uh, and we go and we experience it. and It's good. It's like, that was, that was awesome. And then most of the time somebody tells us, and then what do we do? We, we tell somebody else. And hopefully that that's, you know, keeps happening. If something is good, we, we want to discover it. Uh, recently, our gas prices have gone up. Anyone didn't know that? Yeah. So uh, I've discovered, somebody said, hey, hey, on your car, check to see if you have a flex fuel. We have a Ford Expedition, which is a big car with a big tank. And we have flex fuel, which means that we can buy 85 octane fuel, which the price in Fontana is $3.59. Somebody told me, and now I'm telling all of you, if you have flex fuel on the side of your car, you need to go find this gasoline, okay? If you don't have flex fuel on the side of your car, do not do this and then write a review for Ridgeview Church of how we blew up your engine, okay? Important information, right? Somebody shared something I did not know and then it changed the way I go about getting my gas. So now I'm looking for all of those stations anytime I can get that. Now, gas, but, but here's another thing I, I just want to share with you. If you've never had these chips at Costco, okay, I just, I just, like, I am not gluten-free. Most of the time I ask, like, what's in that? And they're like, it's gluten-free. And I said, just go ahead and add that. Add the gluten back in. And I like it. But for this, I make the exception. That bag gets opened. And it's free, all right, because there's nothing left in that bag. So I tell people all the time, like, those are the best chips ever. And you get them, you know, at Costco. There's something about the flavor. I, I just love it. But that, that's really the, the, the way that we're made, right? I don't have to kind of tell you this. We all know this. People have an experience, good or bad, and they tell people about it. Uh, if you've ever downloaded Yelp, if you looked at Google reviews, we know that's a big part of our culture. People have an experience, and they want to share it. And those shared experiences become really important to the decisions that we make. This is actually significant because God has actually made us these types of people where we're networkers by nature. Now, you may not be somebody when you hear networking, you think you're going to all the people and you're just telling everyone about everything, but 
But the people that we know, the people that we love and appreciate, we'll tell them things that we discover. God's actually made us that way. We love to network. We love to share experiences. We love to tell each other the things that we found, the things that we've discovered. And this has been a part of human nature since the beginning of time. People discover things, and they tell our things about it. The reason this is significant is because this is the very thing that God made us to be is also the way that God intends to change the world. And it's not just one chip recommendation at a time or one restaurant or gasoline. It's, it's actually where real hope is found. And if you're a Christ follower, what that means is you have discovered the hope found in Christ alone. To be a Christian means he's changed your life. He's called you forward. You've decided to do things his way. And over time, as you do things his way, you realize that your life aligns with reality. It comes together. It may not always be easy, but you're a whole person. You make progress. You, you can overcome challenges because God helps you and he gives you hope and he gives you grace. So the very thing that we want to share about all sorts of things, God has actually used that for us to be these beacons of hope that share it with other people. And that's what investing and inviting is all about, is reminding ourselves of the hope that we have in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, and telling other people about that. Now, anytime you talk about sharing about things of very important issues like meaning, hope, purpose, and blessing, it can be intimidating, right? Because you're like, I could recommend a place to eat, but to say like, hey, do you know where the purpose for your life is? It feels like it's just a notch up, right? Like, go check out Chili's. They've got a great lunch special too. Do you know what you're gonna be with for eternity? Like, that's a little, little different. But the principle is the same where as you realize the hope that you have in Jesus and you continue to be transformed by him day after day, God intends something to happen inside you that you actually can't keep from sharing with others. And if you dig in the scriptures, you see that this is a theme again and again and again. People who life have been transformed that can't keep that transformation to themselves. And when you find that you kind of realize that and that becomes uh, serious, then it really transforms the way that you live your life. Uh, we live in a culture now where, can you put the slide back on here? Because I'm getting hungry just looking, uh, just looking at those chips. There we go. Uh, when you dig into the scripture, you find this statement. It says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, uh, our culture today would almost say the opposite, like the worst life ever would be to preach the gospel. Like that is the most intimidating. That's the most strange. Again, we live in a culture. We have a button that opens our garage. We pull into the garage. We press another button that closes it. Then we have a ring on our front door. We are always ready to keep people out, right? And then when you enter public places, you kind of look down. You don't make eye contact. People ask you a question. You say, fine. They say, fine. You had a cordial visit, and then you move on. But in the scriptures, you, you find that there's a different pull to your life. Paul is writing this. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was transformed by the hope of Christ. If you know much about the Christian story, the Apostle Paul was a, a Jew who was like trained in all of the law of Judaism. He was from like the best family line. He had the most credentials for being this religious person, but he did not know Christ. In fact, he came against the Christian movement. He came to persecute early Christians. God got a hold of his life, changed him, and told Paul, like, why, why are you living this way? Why are you trying to prove your own worth by your own merits 
when really you're empty. And Paul admitted his sin. He admitted that he was going his own way based on his own power, and his life was transformed. And he came to that point where he could make this statement where it says, like, my life exists and my life is all about preaching the gospel. Now, I want to break this down a little bit because when we hear that, uh, it may not make sense. So woe, that word, like woe is not like the woe. It's like woe, the horror or the shame of something. Like it would be horrific for my life to not include this. And then he says, uh, preach. Now, preach, we do not use that much. In, in fact, we don't want anyone to preach to us, correct? Like if you ever get a tone, like if you're married, okay, let's just get real. If you ever get the tone your spouse is preaching to you, does that warm up the relationship? No, you're like a little preachy. Back off, give me some space. Need another cup of coffee before you come on that strong, right? Same in the workplace. If your boss begins to preach to you all the things you gotta do, it's like, whoa. So the word preach is very negative. Parents do it to kids. Bosses can do it to employees. Pastors do it every week, right? And that's their job. But it can be very, very negative. But to preach actually means to announce something, to bring news, to bring information, to tell and to share. So it's the same way that we're made. We're made to be people who preach things. And that's what we do. We do it all the time. We tell people of things that we've experienced. But we have this connotation that we can only share certain things and not share others. The more meaningless or trivial, the more we share. The more meaningful and important, the less we share. Have you noticed that? And so what we discover in our culture, people are empty, starving for meaning, starving for truth, and nobody wants to share it because we don't really preach that to anyone. And you could see that this is the greatest deception of the human race. The things that are the most important we keep quiet about. But yet we'll tell everyone about things that maybe aren't as important. And so what Paul is saying is like the shame of my life if I don't actually share what truly matters. And the opposite is to keep quiet about that things. Like my life, I've, I've missed the most important. And then he uses that word uh, gospel. Again, not a word that we use a lot. Preaching gospel in the same sentence. It's like, whoa, religious fanatics over here, right? But the gospel literally means good news. Or another translation is like good messenger. You're somebody that has a message that is good and you want to announce it to somebody else. You want to share it. You want to tell it. You want to bring it uh, to the table. The reason I want to bring this up is if, if you're a Christ follower, this actually needs to be the same statement that you make for your life that Paul made for his. The shame if I keep quiet about the most important things. And if you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus, one of the most important things that you can realize is this is the life that he calls you to. He wants to give you hope. He wants to change you. And then he wants to be a part of you sharing the change and the transformation that has happened with others. It's important for you to know because that's the mission that he calls you to. So all of us, this applies wherever we find ourselves in relationship to Christ. And so I want to talk a little bit about the why. Why, why should we share this? So it could be a shame and we have good news, but, but why should we share? Well, the first thing is the gospel, it, it, it actually meets the real needs of people. It doesn't take long for all of us to look at our culture, to look at relationships, to look at the state of our world and see that people have real needs that are not being met. 
Would you agree with that? Right? People are pretty broken. And the more broken people are, the more self-assured they try to appear. And again, it's deception that's happening all the time. The overly confident, the more prideful, sometimes the more arrogant, the more people fight, the more people resist, most of the time, those are the people that are the most broken and the most hurt. And what that means is when those people interact with us, we do not pull into them, we pull away. And so the most broken and the most hurting are usually the people who are the most alone. And we see this again and again in families. We see it in churches. We see it in our communities. Every facet of society has this dynamic. And so people have real needs that are not being met. They have a purpose for which they don't know about. And we share the gospel. The good news is because people are in need of good news. And not just news that is here and then is gone. The economy getting better. How many of you would say that would be great news? Like, let's stop the recession. What, you guys, like, you don't care about your money or what? Like, like, that's not that good. No, that's good, right? The problem is with that is it's good and then then it's not. Or how many of you would like this next week to, like, you just feel so much happiness and you feel good and it's like, yeah, like, we all want that. But then, like, next week you're, you're tired and you're cranky again. Like, it's just a roller coaster of life, right? But this good news, it meets the real needs of people actually forever. It doesn't mean there's not ups and downs, but it does mean that you have a security now and a foundation for your life that never goes away. So sometimes the reason that we can't get to the point where we say the horror of my life if I don't share is we forget the value of what we're sharing. In fact, we forget the value of what we have. And I'm speaking especially if you're a Christian, What you have in Christ, nothing can compare to. Nothing. It can't be measured. Because Christ changes every aspect of our life. Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth that he started, these are early Christians trying to figure out how to live this life for Christ. He he says these words. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. And so he's saying, listen, this church is here. You're all here because of what Christ has done. You're standing again on that new foundation. You're standing on this hope. And he says in verse two, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now, when you decide to follow Christ, you are saved from the penalty of sin right away. It's immediate. You receive forgiveness, and you're filled with the grace of Christ. Sin is something that's infected us all. But the moment that you decide to follow Christ, you give your life to him, you're forgiven of your sin immediately. But what Paul is saying, by which you are being saved, he's talking about the transformation that happens. The idea is you're saved immediately from the penalty of your sin. But over time, God changes you from the inside out. Do any of you have bad patterns Anyone? Yeah, I I do. I've been trying to focus on my eating, and I don't know what it is, but at 8 p.m., that's like, that's where I want to eat. That's like second dinner. It's like I'm a hobbit, right? Second dinner. Well, that's a bad habit, but there's something in me that's like, if you do that for years, like when 8 o'clock rolls around, that's when I want to eat. What Paul is saying is like, you can change, but sometimes there's habits that are going to take a 
a little bit while to, to kind of get past. And he's talking about the holiness, like that song, holy, there is no one like you. So when you decide to follow Christ, you actually can become holy like God. But that takes time. The transformation happens immediately from sin, but your life changing takes some time. That's why you need to read the scriptures, and you need to pray, and you need to ask God for help. It, it happens over time. And so what Paul is saying is by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, if you do what God says, you'll change over time. You've been forgiven, but he wants you to actually live a different type of life. And then it goes on in verse three. This is really important. For I delivered to you as a first importance. So he says, the word on which you stand on, the foundation for your life, and he's reminding them, this is the most important thing. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. There's some assumptions there. Christ died for what? Our sin. Again, our means everyone, universal, the sin of everyone, the choices they've made to rebel, go their own way. Christ died for you, he died for me, and he died for all. So there's an assumption there. We, we have a problem that we can't solve. It's a sin problem. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse four, that he was buried. Okay, he died. And then he was literally buried, put in a tomb. He, he was dead. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the penalty of sin is death. Like that's the judgment that we've received. Spiritual death. And then we all die physically as well. What Paul is saying is there's a new foundation when you decide to follow Christ that you stand on. And that is that you are a sinner, but you've been forgiven. The payment for your sin has been paid by who? Christ, who died. And he died completely and fully to pay fully for the penalty of sin. But he, the last part, rose again. Death did not conquer him. He conquered death. So what Paul is saying, the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of your life, the brokenness of my life, there's a solution. And the solution is Jesus. What Paul is saying is there's all sorts of things that we could focus on. There's all sorts of things in this life that we can pursue. Whether it's our independence, whether it's our wealth, whether it's relationships, all of which can be good, can be helpful, but he's saying that there's one issue that you cannot divert against, you can't run away from it. It's the fact that Christ has done something that solved the problem that we all have. And it's the most important. Sin has stained us, but, but we have been made clean. So the idea here is there's actually kind of this reckoning that we have to have. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing like we, we ourselves are, are messed up people. Like, we're broken people. We're selfish by nature, right? Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. But then we see that that doesn't define us like the story's not over. God has done something to change us. He's taken the initiative to save us. And everything on his terms, he's done the heavy lifting so that we could have new life. So the depth of the problem actually helps us fully realize the depths of our hope. Because no matter how bad, how much we've messed up, no matter what we've done to receive forgiveness from Christ who died and rose again, it's complete. It's finished. We don't have to try to earn 
our favor. We don't have to prove our worth. We don't have to try to please others. It's been paid completely. And that is the best news. Why? Because it was the worst news. The depths of our sin is countered fully by the depths of hope found in Christ. Does that make sense? So that's the beginning, the the starting point of realizing what Christ has done. And then the second, and this is the part that I enjoy the most. However we're messed up, God works through us despite our shortcomings. God has made us to be people who are networkers and connectors by nature. We're made in his image. We're unique in that as humans. We have this this community aspect of life. You see it represented in this church. You may have come to this church because somebody told you about this church. And so what God does, he wants that hope to continue to get passed on from one person who is removed from the depths of their sin, filled with the depths of hope of Christ, and want to tell other people. Why? Because when you look around at this world, the depths of sin is not hard to see. You see it everywhere. It's destroying our world. And I just want to tell you, there's no government program that can deal with the depths of sin. There's nothing that any man can do. Now, can we work together as people to make this world better? Yes, but if it doesn't include Christ, we could just say people like, well, all we need is love. Well, we've been saying that for a very long time. All we need is Christ's love. But that word is the most important because that is what we received of first importance. So God works through us despite our shortcomings. He wants us to be a part of the work that he wants to do. Uh, Paul, in this same letter to this church that's just getting started, he's trying to encourage them. He says this, and when I came to you, brothers, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So here Paul is actually saying, listen, I'm not that impressive. And people have a lot of meaning here. The idea is like, he wasn't this person that came in full charisma. He probably didn't have like the best haircut, the best clothes. Again, he was helping start churches in the first century. He was traveling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles by ships that broke down and got destroyed. He experienced persecution. He was in jail. So for somebody to have tons of things to show for his life and the success, he probably came pretty empty-handed. It's like, follow Christ, and they're like, man, you look kind of tired. Follow Christ. Are those bruises from being beaten? Follow Christ. When did you last change your clothes, right? Like, it's counterintuitive. You're like, I, what you have, I don't know if I want. And Paul's admitting that. He's just like, I'm not that flashy. I don't have much going for myself. I didn't come with you with this lofty speech. Like, I'm not the best person you've ever heard communicate. That may not even make sense half the time. I don't have a ton of this wisdom to impress you. Then he goes on, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see the same statement. Doesn't matter what I say if I'm flashy. Now, this is one of the things I think in the Christian movement that we have to just get back to the roots. It's so easy to think the outside, the appearance of things is so important. And let's be honest, we struggle with that, right? Do we care what people think? Absolutely. Am I going to come to you without my hair done? Absolutely not. But imagine if I did. I just came and I just didn't look that great. My hair wasn't done. I'm disheveled. 
Maybe sometimes the things that we so focus on, on the external, on the outside, prevent the things that really matter from being heard. I'm not like, I don't want to scare you. I'm, I'll try to still like put nice clothes on. But, but I think Paul's point is, is important to know. We can get so focused on the things that don't matter, right? That we forget the things that do. And again, he's saying like all of these things, I don't care about anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he goes on. I love this part, his humility. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This is a great word from Paul. What he's saying is to follow Christ means you will not have all of your life put together. What is he saying? I have weakness. Like, I have so many shortcomings. You know, the more I've lived life and the more I've been a pastor, I think one thing is universally true, that we are super insecure people. And the only way you know that is because you yourself, like, yeah, like, that's, that's me. Pretty insecure. Like, we're, we're super insecure people. And even when somebody says it, you're like, no, no, <laughs> not me. And inside you're like, well, maybe just a little bit. Like we care what people think about us and we're pretty broken. Life beats us up. We second guess ourselves a lot. We make decisions. We blow it. We beat ourselves up a lot. We're broken people. And Paul's just saying, listen, I came to you in all my weakness. And one thing, if you're a young person, the culture of being young and social media, and I talk about this a lot, it wants you to appear like you can't have problems and so you never talk about them and you hide and you hide behind cool and you hide behind image and you learn that at a young age and it's reinforced by culture and then you become adults and you don't talk about what's really going on in your life. Again, great deception. What Paul is saying is, listen, you need to actually be forthcoming with your weakness. Be real with who you are and where you are. It's only then you can get help. You try to hide behind superficial image, pride, arrogance, trying to appear like you're further along than you are, you will not grow and you will not get the help. So Paul's saying, like, I'm coming to you in weakness and then I love this, and in fear. We are super insecure and we are super fearful people. One word, 2020, right? All of our fears came true. Like there's this global disaster happening. And then even that, just the fears of the unknown, the fears of the future. And we run scenarios in our head. And so Paul's just saying, listen, I'm weak, I'm broken, and I'm fearful. What's crazy about Paul is I consider him one of the most courageous people that I know because of what he did. He's saying, I'm not courageous. I'm full of weakness and I'm full of fear. And then, and much trembling. I think what he's saying is like, it's literal. Like he literally shakes and is nervous as he's doing the life that God has called him to. As he's sharing the difference that Christ has made, he meets people and he's just like not sure what to say, what they're gonna think of him. He cares just like we care. And I'm sure he's just nervous like, hi, how are you doing? Do you know Christ? And his knees are just kind of shaking a little bit. Much weakness and much fear and much trembling saying, listen, I, I don't have my life put together. And then verse four, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, 
Again, I didn't have these catchphrases. I'm just sharing my life. And some of the times, like, I hear it, and I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Paul's just being honest. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So he's saying, all by human standards that everyone would think you need, I do not have. But everything that everyone needs and think that they don't, I do. Do you understand how counterintuitive following Jesus is? We want to be more powerful and appear that way. And Paul is saying, listen, you do that, it will cost you your life. You spend your life pretending you have it all together, you never will. This is what our world needs to hear. And here's the thing about it. People will hear it and they won't care. But there are some that will because God is doing a work. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power, God living inside us so that your faith, check this out, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So three summaries I've realized. We're super what? And remember, insecure. We're super what? Fearful. The third is, we're super assured that we know what we're doing. We think we're wise. But isn't that interesting? If you're super insecure and you're super fearful, is there a lot of wisdom that you have? Probably not. Because you're reacting to that that's inside you. And so we give advice that's not great. We follow our heart, which is corrupt and messed up. And we make terrible decisions. And this is kind of the norm. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, there isn't the wisdom of men that you can rest on. You try to rest on the wisdom of men, you'll never find rest. Because if you follow what the world tells you you should be, you will spend your life chasing it and you'll never find it. This is why Christianity will change the world. Because if you're chasing something and you never find it, but you can find it in Christ, it means that people have never found what they're looking for. And finally, when they surrender their life to Jesus, they will. That's the greatest news that we can have. But notice what Paul's saying. It's not about us and all that we have in our life put together. In fact, the very things that you don't want to share with people becomes what encourages them. I heard a mentor one time, I was sharing just a little bit about us getting ready to launch Ridgeview Church. And I was fearful. And all I could see was my weakness. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Not a great position to be in. Let's start a church. How's it going to go? I have no idea. What are you going to do? Not sure yet. Are you ready? Not really. I'm pretty terrified. And he came to me after I was sharing, and he says, you know, people are most encouraged by your scars. That's what he said. People are most encouraged by your scars. Why would that be? Because as we look down, we look and we see scars. We see bad decisions. We know bad things. We've experienced it. And what he's saying is like, when you get to the point that you can share with people despite your scars, God changes you, it gives hope. Again, it's the biggest deception. You think you want to help people? Have it all together. What Paul's saying is actually, be real with where you are, let God use you, and even your scars will encourage people. I believe that. 
because that's true of me as well. So in closing, I just want to share a little bit about what God does to change lives. How many of you know people in your life that you would say, you know what, I really would love to see God change them, right? There's people that you're relating to, people that you love deeply. You'd say, I would love for God to change them. The reason this is so important is sometimes when we think of what God does to change a life, we sometimes take on God's role, but we cannot do God's role. Only God can do his role. But sometimes when we take on God's role, then we don't do our role because we're trying to do God's role. And that insecurity and that weakness sometimes reinforces even as we're trying to help people. So I want to just talk a little bit about the work that God does. I'm going to go through this quickly. Here's God's role in changing people. First is he draws people to him. What that means is God has made every single human on this planet. He knows them. He knows everything about them. And he's doing a work to draw them to him. It's not our job to draw people to God. God does that. John 6, it says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. You see this theme again? This theme of, of death and burial, but then new life and resurrection. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. God does the heavy lifting and changing someone's life. One of the best marriage advice I ever got early in marriage. My wife and I were experiencing just the natural conflict that comes from two independent lives becoming one, and it's beautiful in a marriage so many, but then in real life, it's awkward, right? It's like two lives becoming one. And one thing a wise man said is, you cannot change your wife. And I thought, are you sure? I thought that was like a part of the deal. Like she changes me, I change her. And then I realized, oh, that's true. Like nobody can change somebody. Have you ever tried it? Some of you are like, yeah, I spent a long time trying to do that. And some of you are like, yeah, he or she tried to do that to me. Doesn't work. No one can change anyone. Only God does that. That's God's role. Second, God's role is he convicts people of their sin and need for for his forgiveness. Here's the thing. There's people in your life that you look at their decisions and you think, oh my goodness, if they only knew. If they would stop doing what they're doing and you like, you're burdened for their life more than they're burdened for their life. You have those experiences. I care way more about what they do than they do. And it's excruciating for the people that you love. Why don't they care? The thing is, people are super what? Insecure, super fearful, and think that they're super wise. What does that mean? Most of the time, you're totally broken and you don't want to change. So what you need to remember is God is the one that convicts people of their sin. You can't change people and you can't convict people of their wrong. Like every parent, you're like, wait, what? Isn't that why I exist? But it comes to a point where people have to realize that they're sinning against God. They can't change because of you. It won't last. They need to change because of God and the life he calls them to. This is the heavy lifting of people's hearts, which are hardened. They're like rocks. 
But God, in his hope, he breaks that up over time. And we don't know how long it will take. But he's faithful to do this. I'm not going to read it, but John 16, 8, that's a note. You can read that. And then the third, this is the ultimate progression. It says he saves people from the penalty of sin, and he changes them. That's God's role. He saves them. It's immediately, right? Like Paul said. You experience the grace and forgiveness based on Christ, his role, who sent his son for us. He saves, and then he changes them. He does the work, the internal work, the hard work, the breaking up of the hardened heart. Let me encourage you, he wants to do that work in you, and he wants to do that work in me as well. He does it one time where he saves us, we experience eternity, and then over time, like, we just, we can get off track, we can get sidetracked. We think we know better, and we ignore God's commands, we ignore his ways, we try to run. But God continues to do this work. He draws us back to him in his grace. He convicts us of what we're messed up, convicts of sin. One of the best things you can do is is allow people to be convicted. Allow God to do that work. Don't try to shield people from sin. A lot of times the consequences of sin can be a part of the redemptive work God wants to do. And ultimately, he, he saves the penalty he has dealt with. Why? Because what's of first importance? That he died, that he was buried and then he rose again. So that's God's role. Aren't you glad that's God's role? Right? Here's the thing. I'm just going to say this. Don't do God's role. You don't have the power, and it will destroy your relationships. You cannot do it. It's his role. Faith is trusting that he will do his role when he wants to. He's God. And sovereign is, I trust that he'll do it at the right time according to his purposes, not my own. Let's talk a little bit about our role. That's God's role. What's our role? Three main things. The first is pray. What do you need to pray? Pray that God will do his role when he wants to. God, will you draw them to yourself? God, will you convict them of their sin? And God, will you save them? Will they experience new life in you? And will you change them? Your role is to pray and ask God to do his role. We don't demand of God. We ask God. That's what prayer is. And you pray for people. You pray for opportunities. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The second is to love and serve people. Now, this is heavy lifting too. Because oftentimes, the very people that God wants us to love are the people that we would prefer not to. Like, we'd rather change them than love them, right? Because you're like, I'll love you if you're different, (laughs) right? Makes complete sense. If you do exactly what I think you should, we'll be great. That's not a free relationship. To love and serve people will cost you your life. That's what parenting is. You're loving and serving kids who most of the time the world revolves around them. They have no idea what you do. You may love and serve your spouse who's really hardened towards you. And it's a hard relationship that costs you your life. Loving and serving people is hard. 
but it demands that we look to the interests and to the goals of others and we put them in front of our own. That's our value of hard attitude number one. That is what love is. Goals and interests that people have, and we're gonna help them despite the things that we think they should be doing differently. But when you love and serve people and you really do, God does a special work there. And then finally, is to share. Our role is to share. What do we share? The hope that we have. The depths of our sin has been replaced by the depths of hope. The deeper the sin, the deeper the hope. And that's the kind of hope that we need to share with others. Colossians 4, again, this is Paul writing to a different church, and he's giving them like this, this charge. Like, here's the things you need to do and focus on. One of the next steps today is to, to meditate on this, like to read it and think about it some more, so I encourage you to do this. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Again, what's our role? It's to pray. So he's saying like, stay connected to God, pray, ask him to do what he can do, being watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. What's the word he's talking about? What I've received is of first importance, the same thing, that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. Will you pray for a door open to that word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am what? In prison, in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. For nothing to show except these chains. Then he says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then verse five, it says, walk. I think it's on there, is it? Yep, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So you see, Paul is just saying, always be aware of the people that are around you. Pray for God to open a door. Walk in wisdom towards you, outsiders. These are people that don't know Christ. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. There's something that adds flavor by the way that you live your life. There's a different type of life that you live that adds like flavor that people see and want so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What Paul is saying is people are looking for answers and they're looking for hope and they're looking for literally somebody to give them a path to walk on so they can discover the things that they're longing for. Our world operates this way. It's called marketing. You know how many billions are spent on trying to get people to think that if you buy this or you do this, this will make you a better, fulfilled person. And then as Christians, we can remain quiet while people spend their money pursuing something they never find. Paul's saying is this is the most important. We need to be people who pray. We need to be people who are filled with gratitude. And then we need to be on the lookout for God-sent opportunities. That's what I keep praying, that God, will you send me opportunities that I will see them and see that is a God-sent opportunity. Not like smell, but God sent this opportunity. Just thought I'd clarify. You're like, that was kind of weird. I didn't quite understand that part, okay? And then he, you know, we need to speak clearly. So speaking clearly means your mouth opens and words come out. The idea is somebody's like, wow, you you seem like content in your life. And I know you've experienced some some hard things. 
how are you doing? And we're like, well, you know, I'm doing good. Just have my probiotic and I try to get good sleep. They're like, oh, maybe I should do that. God sent opportunity means that God responds, right? Well, actually, God's changed me and he helps me. And I have hope because of that. My year has been really hard and I've really struggled, but he's helped me. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, you struggle? I struggle. You're messed up? I'm messed up. God sent opportunities. You weave the difference he's made in your life. I just want to share a quick resource here. It's called a 15-second testimony. A testimony is like what you think in court, like you testify, you, you tell somebody something that you've seen, you've experienced. And here is kind of like mirroring what, what Paul was explaining. So there was a time in my life, so what would Paul say when I was fearful and when I was weak? Okay? For me, like there was a time in my life when I was insecure. There was a time in my life when I was a people pleaser. So you're, you're being real with the struggle that you have. Do each of you have a struggle? Like something that you've always kind of battled? Yeah, we all do. Do we tell people that? Absolutely not. But if you want to get into the, the hope of people, share your scars, right? Share your scars. So there's a time when I was fearful and I was weak or I was arrogant and alone. So what are the things that you struggle with in your life? In 15 seconds, you can see a God-sent opportunity by if you're willing to share this. So there was a time, and go to the next screen if you could. I'm going to walk through this. There was a time when, when I was self-absorbed and I was insecure. But then Christ forgave me and he accepted me. Brokenness, shame, scars. But Christ, not me, because it doesn't rest in our wisdom and our power, right? This is the scriptures. But then Christ forgave me. That's what's of first importance. And he accepted me despite being self-absorbed and insecure. He forgave me. He accepted me. And now I'm secure. Why are you secure? Because you've been forgiven and accepted. The hope that changes the world. Now I'm secure and I'm joyful. Why? Because if you're forgiven of your sin, over time, God takes away your shame. If God takes away your shame, you can be filled with joy. This is the Christian story. And now I'm secure and I'm joyful. And then the final thing, do you have a story like that? Do you have a story like that? In 15 seconds, you can get real with somebody. Now, is this just like... You don't do this, right? Like, this is like, whoa. That's a little past like the, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. And sometimes, like, you, people answer, and they haven't even asked you the question. No, I'm doing good. I didn't ask that yet, actually. I just said, hey. Like, we're transformed, we're robots. But God sent opportunities. Somebody comes to you and like, man, I'm stressed. It's been really hard. You know what? There was a time when I really battled anxiety. And I battled a lot of fear. 
and I became a Christian, and I was forgiven, and I was accepted. And now I have confidence in God, and I feel more self-assured. Do you have a story like that? Do you think God could use that? I think so. It takes 15 seconds. You're sharing an experience that you have. You're sharing your scars with people. And then you're sharing the difference that Jesus has made. How would you ever get an opportunity to share that? Well, you pray. What did Paul say? Pray that God may open the what? The door. There are doorways into all the relationships that you have and I have where you can actually share things as God opens them. This feels a little real, doesn't it? It's like, whoa, this is like, again, it's counterintuitive. It feels like un-American of what we're supposed to do with relationships. Because again, we we don't talk about real stuff. It's very superficial. That's why the brokenness continues and the fractures get bigger. Because people don't have solutions to their problems. But the solution is Christ. That middle part. But then, those two words, but then, it's a new beginning for some people. If you're a Christian, this needs to be a part of your life. At the summit, there was two things that kept kind of coming just to my mind about learning and growing, and it's, and it's this. You write down what you want to remember, okay? Isn't that true? If you don't write it down, you really don't want to remember, or if you don't write it down, you won't remember. It's like, go to the store, get something. What was that? You know, didn't write it down. So you write down what you want to remember. And then you schedule, you put in your calendar what you want to do. So what that means is we need to write down the things that we learn. And then we need to look at our calendar and say, when can I interact with people that God's placed in my life? When can I go out of my way to serve and love them? If you don't schedule serving and loving people, it's very unlikely it will happen. You schedule what you want to do, and you write down what you want to remember. Uh, I think I said I'm wrapping up about 12 minutes ago, but I want to encourage all of you, just this is next step, to get real, because I'm speaking of writing things down. If you want to begin to get this into your life, I encourage you, take out this card and write down three people that God has potentially placed in your life that you can invest and pray for and love and serve and to share. You may be, listen, I, I'm not even a Christian yet. I don't even, like this, I, I'm not even there. Well, this could be the day that you decide, like, I'm ready to follow him. I'm ready to give my life to him. And you can become a Christian today. Come see me after the service. But if you're ready, like, write down a name. You don't have to write down three, but write down a name. Here's somebody who I will be praying for. I'll be trying to schedule to love and to serve them. And I'll be praying for an opportunity to share with them. Write down a name. What you write down, uh, you're going to remember. Could be sharing the 15-second testimony that I talked about earlier. So I just encourage you, take this and just think about it. This is for you. Has God placed people in your life that you can invest and invite in? That's the question. Does he do that type of thing? 
And if the answer is yes, then we have a responsibility. How can I be a part of sharing the depths of hope that I have with somebody who all they have is the depth of sin? That's the type of thing that changes lives. And God allows us to be a part of it. So fill this out. Another, just next step. Like Emily mentioned, we have sports camp starting tomorrow. Uh, so far, I think the last count is we have 114 kids signed up. Praise God, right? I said it at 150. I'm praying for that. But it's a success at this point, right? Um, from 114, there's about 25 who are like Ridgeview family and kids. Everyone else, they're not a part of our church. That's why we do sports camp. It's really not for us because it'd be a lot easier. We just do sports camp here like, okay, let's play together, right? But you know, we're, there's planning, there's money, thousands of dollars. Why? It's for them, like Joel talked about, us for them. And so pray, Colossians 4. Pray that God will open a door for us to be able to share. Pray that we will speak clearly. Pray that we'll have wisdom and grace as we interact. Will you pray that God will do a work that could change the lives of people because of a sports camp? I think he can. I think he can. I'm just really burdened by the people who don't know Christ. And we can get so focused on our own worlds and I can get focused on my own schedule. And I think of these people who are just spinning their wheels and they're going nowhere. And in our culture, we're led to believe that that means we just have to leave people where they are. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news that is proclaimed. Let's be proclaimed. So I'm praying for all those people who are coming. I just ask that you pray. We cannot change them. We actually can't help them fully. God, God does that. But pray God will do a work. Next uh, Sunday, we're also, I just want to talk about this. We're doing this series called Unstuck. And we believe there are so many people that feel stuck in life. And we're going to be sharing this at sports camp. We're going to be inviting everyone at sports camp to come to church next week. Because I know that there's people who feel stuck that are just waiting for an answer. And so next Sunday, I just encourage you, come think of people that you can invite in your life. Let's see if we can pack this place with people who are stuck but can become unstuck because of Jesus. It's not gonna be our flashy marketing that will bring people. It will be the invitations that we extend. So use this flyer to invite people. When you're at sports camp, if you're helping, invite people to our church. Let them know the difference that Christ has made in your life. It could be the very thing that helps people see the depths of hope in Christ. We're also gonna have a Kona ice truck next Sunday, so please stick around after church. Hang out, get to know people that you don't know. Us for them. And then the meetups, 
Again, these meetups, we want to grow our friendships with each other. But another thing is, these, this lowers the barriers for people. You invite somebody to meet up, they're not necessarily ready to go to church yet. If they meet people and interact with people from the same church, God uses that. Those people aren't as weird as I expected. We'll take that. And God works. He changes them. He draws them through all these things. But he does that work as we pray, as we love and serve, and as we share, and ultimately as we invest and invite. So I'm done. I'm going to pray. But this, what I'm talking about today, is the greatest privilege we have to be a part of. It's God's work in this world. There is no greater calling than any of us could have. And I'm so glad you're here and are a part of it. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the work that you do that we cannot do. Thank you for the power that you have that we don't have. Thank you for the love that you give us and the hope found in your son, Jesus. When everything in this world burns away, when everything in this world is over, you will remain. You are the most important thing. God, will you give us eyes to remember that, to focus on the main thing, Christ in us? God, I pray if there's anybody here that's not yet decided to follow you, that this will rise to the top of the action steps they need to take in their life to give their whole life to you. I pray against the enemy who blinds us, who deceives us, who leads us astray. I bind him in the name of Jesus, and I pray that you will draw people to yourself right now, that people will confess their sin, receive your grace and forgiveness, and go a different way, your way, a new way. Thank you for the transformative work that you're doing in our church. I thank you for every person that you brought here at this specific time. And God, we lift up sports camp. Lord, will you do a mighty work through that? that will draw people to yourself. I pray from the invitations, from sports camp, from all the interactions, that there'll be people that will move from death to life, that their eternity will be completely changed. God, go before us right now. Draw people to yourself in the name of Jesus. Convict people of their sin. And God, do a saving work and change people according to your will. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.